Well, welcome to the workshop. We, not me. My name is Chris. I'm from Susanville, and I'm a, comp I'm a compulsive overeater, and I'm the moderator and speaker for this session. Before we get, begin, please turn off all your cell phones. Um, this workshop is being taped. All the opinions expressed by those who share are their own and not necessarily those of OA as a whole. The format for this session is a reading, two speakers, ask it basket questions, and sharing on the topic. A basket with paper and pencil will be circulated for you to write any questions you may have for the speakers. Please specify whom your question is for. The reading is from the OA 12 and 12. Ira, would you like to read? We'll start here. Oh, yeah, start here and then just to the end of the next paragraph. Many of us, my name is Iron, I'm a compulsive overeater. Many of us had asked God to help us control our weight, and this prayer hadn't worked. Later, we understood why our pleas for help seemed to fall on deaf ears. What we were really asking God to do was remove our fat while allowing us to go on eating whatever we wanted, whenever we wanted. Most of us also needed to learn to ask other people for help and let God speak to us through our fellows. In a way, God's healing power comes to us through a caring community of other compulsive overeaters. Before we joined the OA Fellowship, our prayers for help might have gone unanswered simply because we were never meant to face this disease in isolation. We were meant to open up so that we might learn to truly love others. Okay, I'll, uh, I'll be the first speaker. Uh, I need some help. Someone willing to be a timer? You get the five minute, the one minute, and the stop. Hopefully you won't need that. Thanks, Nick. So, um, how long did we get all together? 20. Thank you. Actually, it says 25 here. It won't take that long. 25. So, I give you a five minute one get 20. Thank you. Well, as I said before, I'm Chris. I'm a compulsive overeater. I really am pleased to be able to speak on this topic of we, not me. This is a topic that's very close to my heart. When I first came to OA, um, I shared a little bit of this story um, in another meeting earlier this morning. But when I first came to OA, um, I was one of those very hard-headed people and had a lot of difficulty with every step. Um, I was totally convinced that uh, my way was going to be the better way. So when I came to step two for the very first time, that was certainly no exception. Uh, when I did step two, um, I had a, a very difficult time with the concept of God. I um, uh, belonged to a, a religious denomination, and so I had a concept of God already. And uh, the God that I knew of was called Heavenly Father. And I was told uh, all about who Heavenly Father was and what he was supposed to be like and how I was supposed to relate to him. The problem was is that when I started OA, that concept of God did not work for me. Uh, when I came to OA, I was in a very difficult marriage. And the only thing that I could imagine was that uh, God wanted me to stay with my husband and be unhappy. I could not imagine any other possibility. The God of my understanding preferred obedience to happiness. I was just supposed to obey. God doesn't like divorce, you see. So I was not supposed to divorce. I was just supposed to do what God said and, and be unhappy if that's what it took. I was just supposed to endure. So I became the martyr with the capital M or the victim with the capital V, whichever you like. And uh, uh, when my uh, sponsor... Uh, suggested that maybe my concept of God wasn't, wasn't what I needed, I thought that was kind of blasphemous. The whole idea of changing a concept of God that I had, uh, was really ingrained in me, was very foreign. Uh, it's funny, the God that I understood at that time would, uh, could and would help me with absolutely every area of my life except for my marriage. 
I did not believe that uh, that he would help me with my marriage. It was just for me to endure. And I, I find it really funny now that, that I had this concept of God that was so exclusive, that he would help with everything except this one thing. That doesn't make sense to me now, but it did make sense to me back then, and it's just one of those thinking, thinking kind of things. Um, when I finally left step two behind, it was just because I had the tiniest glimmer of hope that... Uh, that God could and would help me with my marriage. That uh, This was the one roadblock I had with step two, and it, and it caused me uh, about three months of my time. Uh, so when I left step two, I just had that little itty-bitty part of, um, of hope, and that was it. Um, what I've learned since then about my God is that there's absolutely nothing that he won't help me with. He can and he will help me with everything. There is no exception. I call it the no job too big, no job too small kind of thing. Uh, another thing I've learned about this program is that I was never meant to go through it alone. There's a whole, I, I think this is one of my biases, one of my soapbox issues, but I think, uh, silly as it sounds, I think in Overeaters Anonymous we spend just a little bit too much time talking about food when this is really a spiritual program. This is really about God and what God can and will do for us if we allow him to do so. And God's not going to do it if we don't allow him to do this. He's not going to knock us over the head and, uh, and make us do anything. But if you, if you think about what this program asks somebody to do, uh, think about being a newcomer walking in the doors for the very first time. What we do is we tell that newcomer, uh, we talk about the food and we help them get a food plan and so on, and we tell them, now, uh, we're going to take away all of the comfort foods and so on that you're used to eating. Take away all of the, the emotional uh, uh, crutch that you get out of eating, but we're not going to replace it with anything. That doesn't make sense at all. And it's, that's what a lot of us have done before we came to OA. We did diets. Uh, we did uh, all kinds of crazy things to lose weight simply by willpower. And unless we put God in the equation or we, we put something to replace that food and the comfort that it was, that's all we're asking them to do. We're, asking, we're taking away everything that gives them comfort and not replacing it with anything. Uh, what, one of the things that I've really learned in this program is that God speaks through a lot of different sources. To me, when I read the OA and the AA literature, God speaks to me. There's a message that he wants me to have personally as I read. And I get that message. As soon as I'm ready to hear something, he shows it to me. So when I'm doing my daily readings and something just kind of gives me that aha moment, to me, I feel like that's God speaking to me. Uh, another way that God speaks to us is, is uh, in our meetings. Uh, as I shared a little bit before this meeting, I'm from Susanville, which is a very small town in Northern California. We're extremely isolated. About 10,000 people, the closest uh, city to us is 90 minutes away, which is Reno. We have a little group there, uh, and at one time our group folded, and we had no meetings. And for about nine months, we all kind of went at it alone. And uh, what I did during that time is uh, I tried some online meetings. I tried desperately to get another sponsor and was totally unable to really find anybody um, I emailed people, I talked to people online and so on, and really had difficulty finding a sponsor. So even though I was actively working the steps, I was doing it alone and was really floundering. I had a lot of trouble with my abstinence and uh, found myself really slipping. So when, our, when somebody from our group suggested that we get the meetings up and running again, I was one of the first people to raise my hand and say, what do I need to do? I need those meetings. I found out that... God kind of, he speaks to me through the people in the meetings. When I listen uh, to the shares, there are things there that I can hear that God uh, speaks directly to me if I'm ready to listen. So when our meetings folded, it was absolutely devastating to my program and, um, as I found out later, to the program of a lot of people uh, in our area. So uh, what's really wonderful is uh, we've had our meetings up and running now for about nine months. And uh, our meeting has grown. We started with four people, and our meetings are pretty regularly uh, between eight and nine now. We've got three newcomers who've been uh, coming pretty regularly, and it is the most wonderful thing on the planet to actually have a meeting. We're very um, uh, deprived, I would say, because we only have the one meeting a week. 
and to lose it was devastating. So to me, that was more proof in my life that we're not meant to do this program alone. Even though I was actively working the steps during the time we did not have a meeting, I was slipping, and so were the rest of the people in in my group. Another thing that I learned is uh, that God speaks through sponsors. Uh, I have had uh, about four sponsors in my time in this program, and uh, each one has a little bit different thing to share. Um, I recently uh, got myself a new sponsor. Uh, I had found one online, and when our, our, now that our group is really going again, I was able to find myself a good face-to-face sponsor that I could talk to as I need to. So I believe uh, that God speaks to me through my sponsor. The sponsor that I have is very wise and very experienced. She's got a lot of time in program, and there isn't anything that I do that she hasn't done already, and that really helps me. When she shares her experience, strength, and hope with me, it strengthens my recovery. And then I, in turn, have three sponsorees that I can do the same for. When I can share with them what's happened with me, I'm able to help them recover. To me, again, it's just more evidence that we're never meant to do this program alone. My sponsorees sometimes, especially when they're new in the program, they feel like they are a bother to me, that they, uh, they uh, inconvenience me. And I tell them over and over again, and it's not believed, I think, for a while until they become sponsors of their own, but they are not an inconvenience, nor are they a bother. They are absolutely, positively necessary to my program. I cannot recover without them, and they don't know it. When they are talking about the problems that they have or the successes that they're having, the joys and the, uh, everything that, that comes along with, with talking to a sponsor, it renews me. And I just wholeheartedly believe that the, the idea of sponsoring is, is absolutely necessary to this program. Uh, a person who does not have a sponsor uh, is, is not, my, again, my opinion is that you will not progress in the program as well as you can. Uh, we, we're not meant to do this alone. Another way that, that God speaks through us, uh, through, uh, that God speaks to us, I should say, is uh, through our inner groups and through our, our regions like this meeting here and through our world service office. Um, I'm very privileged to, be, to do service at the intergroup level, and it has been a real blessing in my life. Now, keep in mind where I live. I live in a place that's extremely isolated, and I travel two hours to get to our intergroup meetings. It is very well worth my time to drive there for two hours, be there, and then come back two hours. Uh, to be able to give service is, is wonderful. One of the, I have two jobs, and one of them that I am able to do is to, uh, to update the answering machine for our intergroup. So uh, when someone calls our uh, intergroup up there, it's my voice that they hear that tells them where the meetings are and who they can contact to go to the meetings. I love it. It's something that I can do long distance. Um, there is absolutely nothing, even the, the fact that I live in a very rural area, that keeps me from doing service at those levels. But when we meet as an inner group and we talk about things, what we're trying to do is to strengthen our groups, and then those groups can in turn strengthen the members. When we have our meetings, we do group consciences. Group conscious is how God speaks through us. Uh, uh, the tradition says that... Uh, that's how God speaks through a group, is through a group conscience. When we vote on something and we come to a consensus about something, uh, it's as if God is speaking his mind to us. And I've seen that. It's another way that we're not meant to do this program alone. We're meant to have God speak to us through uh, a lot of different avenues. Uh, I'm not going to spend much more time speaking. I've pretty much said what I wanted to say, but... Uh, this, the topic of we, not me, is, like I said, something that is so close to my heart. Um, I cannot do this program without other people. The time that we did not have meetings and I tried to go it alone was proof enough for me. Uh, the, the slips that I went through and, and so on, uh, I, I simply cannot get back that time. Uh, I cannot, uh, words cannot express how much I need other people. When I work the program, when I work the steps, when I go to meetings, when I pick up the telephone, which I simply cannot do, that is so hard for me to do, but when I, when I do that and when I reach out to others and others reach out to me, that's how we make it in this program. 
When I very first came here, uh, I, I totally believed that I was unlovable, worthless, and absolutely not worth your time to talk to. And so I, you could feel it. You feel the wall uh, uh, when you were around me. And I definitely found that uh, unconditional love in OA. It's because other people like you loved me just the way I was that I found the recovery that I have. My recovery is, uh, involves a relapse. My recovery involves first a 70-pound weight loss, a 45-pound weight gain, and now a 35-pound weight loss again. And I'm not at my, uh, the weight I would like to be yet, not at the weight that my doctor would like me to be yet, but I have what I believe to be a successful program because there are people out there who love me and keep uh, making sure that I come back. Uh, this is not a program for loners. So uh, that is all I have to say. I'm going to turn the, the uh, speaker over to uh, Ira, who will share with us for 25 minutes. Thank you, Chris. My name is Aaron. I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm really glad to be here. I'll, I'll qualify. Um, I have been continuously abstinent. Um, since September 7th of 1983, so uh, July 7th would be 25 years and 10 months. I maintain about 144-pound weight loss for about 23 years. I'm also sober that same amount of time. And um, uh, it's an interesting, I, I really relate and identify. Uh, we, we can only share our own experience, strength, and hope, and I'm, I'm going to read something to you that's in, uh, because I was taught, you know, read, I, I was told read two pages of the big book every day, reread it, put it down, because like, they knew that I wanted to graduate and really get a handle on this, you know. And the whole, the implication, at least for me, this is, you know, we say, uh, we deal with food cunning, baffling, and powerful. And without help, it is too much for us. See, I eat for no reason at all. It's not even about being loved or unloved or not loved. I, I, I will eat because I find out why I want to eat. You know, and, and people are desperate. Anyway, um, what this says, and there is a solution. In fact, this is even uh, underlined here. The third paragraph on page 18 says, highly competent, and, and I'll just transpose overeater for alcoholic. Highly competent psychiatrists who have dealt with us have found it sometimes impossible to persuade a compulsive overeater or a bulimic or whatever to discuss his or her situation without reserve. In other words, to be fully honest. Yeah. Strangely enough, wives, parents, and intimate friends usually find us even more unapproachable than do the psychiatrist and the doctor. And I don't know about you, but for me, that's how it always was. If you really knew what was going on with me, you know, so I'm just going to tell you, and I, I see it in OA all the time. You know, uh, I had an AA sponsor tell me, I can love you so much it'll kill you. You know, and I had to come from that. Then it says, and generally when the big book, at least what I've learned, is when the big book is in ital it, it italicizes something, it wants you to remember it. It then says, and I'll use, again, I'll transpose, but the ex-problem overeater who has found the solution, who is properly armed with facts about himself, can generally win the entire confidence of another overeater in a few hours. Until such an understanding is reached, little or nothing can be accomplished. And I believe that that's the crux, like we're talking about, we, that is the crux of why there is so much relapse. I have been blessed not to have a relapse. I don't think relapse, it, for me, my being here and there are other people like me, it is not inevitable that one has to relapse. And, 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 and here's another one that I, I learned along the way. And sometimes it's the way our heads work. There is no free lunch. Nobody gets away with anything. The idea that if you've been abstaining from day one and somehow life is easier is not true because you pay one way or the other. And it's just like credit cards, man. If, if, if I can either deal with it now or what happens at the end of the month or I just put it off, I deal with it with interest. You know, it's the same. But what you taught me was, it, it, see, here's the thing. This is a physical world, you know, and, 
in the abstract of, of what God is and what it might be. And I mean, I learned this in AA. Uh, a guy said, very, who had 36 years of sobriety, when he said it, he said, in order to be successful in Alcoholics Anonymous, the only thing you have to know about a higher power is to be reasonably clear that you're not it. And so if I'm not a higher power, right, and I can't do this myself, I need help. It's just that the disease or I don't, you know, it's like I'm afraid. You know, I'm afraid. When I came into Overeaters Anonymous or, or into uh, those of you who are around, I know, John, you've been around a long time, but, uh, you know, we had meetings, at least I come from the San Fernando Valley, and um, in the 80s to mid-90s, there were 110 meetings a week. You know, and it's gone way down, and it scares me, and I get angered behind things like that. Inventory's done that. I, there are people who know everything there is to know about me. I'm writing on a, an internal conflict issue right now um, that I will share with someone. And just and I have a, the guys I sponsor, we meet once a month. And I dump some stuff, you know, and it felt better. And I didn't have to hurt myself. I, and, I, and, and with the people, for instance, who I sponsor, I say, whatever you do, don't hurt yourself. You know, um, it's not lecturing and telling somebody this is the steps, this is what you... My ego needs to be reduced. I believe if I'm over... And listen, there's nobody who's ever done this perfect. This idea that we're perfectionists, I don't buy. What I learned about that is it's what I think of, of it as being perfectionism is in truth people-pleasing because I'm constantly looking for approval. The problem with the disease is I want approval for doing something bad. See? I want you to like what is it? Co-sign my insanity, right? You know. So, so, but all of that comes from this whole point of we. If I'm really being honest with you, there's no need to hurt myself because there's nothing. I uh, I'll use this as an example, and it uh, might be a bit blue, but you'll get the idea. So, there, a guy does a. And it speaks to this issue. A guy shares like a four-step with a sponsor. But he leaves out something. And he, he knows he leaves it out. And because he's so afraid, he's so ashamed, you know, that how can he tell anybody? And he's agitated. Finally, it comes to a point where he's about to overeat. And it's either he, he comes clean or this is it. So he calls up the sponsor. He says, well... What's going on? He said, I got to tell you this. I left this out. I'm so ashamed. I'm so ashamed. No, come on. You got to tell me. You got to, you know, you go round and round. Finally, he, he brings this stuff. He says, Well, he says, I got to tell you something. I was really nuts one time and I made love to a chicken. So the sponsor says to him, Was yours alive or dead? <laughs> See, I had a scene like that. Uh, I was involved in a relationship and I'm not going to get into you know, details, but it was, I mean, OA gives you everything that you could ever, if you don't know how to date, it will teach you how to date. If you don't know how to stay in a relationship, it will teach you how to stay in a relationship. If you're open-minded, you know. So anyway, I was, I, I was really unhappy and I came into the program 325 pounds and I got involved with this lady who was embodied the fantasy that I thought I had since I was 14. She was a redhead and she was voluptuous and all that. There was a little problem. I was married and so was she. Um, however, we know. But the point being that um, so we were fooling around. You know, it wasn't like all the way or any of that kind of thing. I mean, and she came, and, and my excuse, of course, was she came on to me. You know, Mr. Sincerity. And and see, that's what we're sharing here. That's the other thing about we is we're sharing experience, strength, and hope. Somebody, and, and I will tell you, if anybody here gets a direction from someone, okay, and you get a direction that you're not sure about, or even if you are, but you're not, you just want, you have every right to say what's your experience with it. Because we are not authorities. And I think, especially my experience of the difference between Alcoholics Anonymous and this program, is we tend to be very passive. You know. So you have the right to say, look, well, how is it like? Because that's what this thing is saying. It says, can generally win the entire confidence of another over. In other words, if, if 
I have entire confidence in the people who I ask for help. They know me. I've had the same sponsor who's now 81 years old and dating, right? And he, he was, he's a widow, widower. But the point is he knows everything there is to know about me. So, like, I can cut to the chase. See? But you know what? Even if I felt uncomfortable talking to him, maybe there would be somebody else that I, uh, uh, about a given issue that I would feel more comfortable with. You see? The point is I have to be able to do that. This idea that I can hold some of it back because, like, I'm so ashamed. Whether it be a weight gain. In fact, I, I tell somebody what I weigh once a month, and I tell the guy that I call my food into. He's been around longer than I am. His name's Ken. What we we check in with each other once a month. I tell him what I weigh. See, because I'm a hundred pounder, man. You know, my when I came in, my driver's license lied in that it said that I was. What five eleven and weighed two forty eight when in fact I've never been above five six and three quarters and at the time that I came in I weighed over three hundred pounds that's what I do because I can't stand who I am and you guys showed me that if and see the thing about the we like I said this is a physical world if you 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 know Yes, we, we come in to lose weight or, or, you know, deal with whatever the food issue is. But until I get that change in personality that the spiritual appendix on spiritual experience says at the back of the big book, until I get that, it's like my AA sponsor would say, if you don't believe it, pretend you believe it, and if that doesn't work, know that I believe it. See? This, faith is not easy because one thing about faith Especially when, like you say, you're, you're isolated, you know. I mean, um, I had, uh, you know, I've been all over the world. Um, and a guy, one time I was telling, uh, I, I was in what was Yugoslavia, working on a, I, I'm a music writer by profession. And I was, I was uh, working on, a, on a, a project and there were, there obviously there were no, it was still communist then, um, there were no there were no OA meetings, AA meetings, you know. So like I said to the guy that that I'm, uh, you know, I was working with. Do you mind if I? And he knew me when I was fat. I said, Do you mind if I tell you every day what I'm going to eat? And he had known me, and he was a well-adjusted. He said, Sure. So I told him every day what I was eating. To this day, I tell somebody what I'm going to eat every day. And you know what it does is I'm, I don't have to think about it. I'm not up here, well, should I or shouldn't I? Although, like, you know, it's very easy for me to say, well, if, you know, I had an AA sponsor tell me, if you're not sure what to do, don't do anything. You see, we're the kind of people that, like, think we know something. You know, I think the biggest thing that I have had to surrender is the idea that I know what's best for me. That's where the we comes in. I don't know what's best for me. Because it would be easy if I if I knew what was best for me and I and I would do it. That's great. If I knew all the time what's not good for me and I just did the opposite, that would be easy too. Unfortunately, I mean, and I happen to be in a creative profession. I have to use my imagination. I have to use my God-given talents. And those same thoughts are the same kind of thing of well, what would it be like if you actually crossed the divider today? You know. And in, and in uh, and we don't have one here, but like in the AA 12 and 12, one of my favorite readings is on page uh, 59 and 60 in step 5, where it talks about why we need to check stuff out with another person. It says, going it alone in spiritual matters is dangerous. How many times have we seen well-intentioned people uh, justify the most errant nonsense on the basis of the belief that they believe that's what God told them? It says it's worth noting that people of very high spiritual development almost invariably check with someone else on a decision because we're new at this. See, so, so, so it's the same ego. It's the same thing that tells me I know what's best for me. It's the same thing that's afraid of change. It's the same thing that's afraid of, of um, what you think of me. Like I said, this whole thing about perfectionism, let me tell you something. If we were really perfectionists, those of you who think you are, we'd all come in, perfect weight, 
with perfectly pressed, anal retentive clothes, you know, not a stitch out of, you know, and stay perfect pitch. And I don't know about you, but I've rarely been to meetings where that's been the case. You know, um, you know, we'd all have German Air Force uniforms. No offense to the Germans, but you know what I mean. It's like that's perfectionism. You know, what the truth of it is, is it's people pleasing. And the way that one gets through people pleasing is to have self-esteem. And the way that one gets self-esteem is to do estimable things like helping other people. And here's the other thing that I will say about this whole, and again, it's just my opinion, my take. I believe that everything, that, that the way that I ultimately have been able to stay abstinent through a lot of stuff, divorce, my mother died uh, two months ago, and it was in Detroit, and I was on my way back here. I was, I was just about to get on a plane. My sister calls. They say she's not going to last another 10 minutes. So I had to recheck myself into the hotel, cancel the flight, go back, you know, and all that stuff. And you know what? I was able to do it with some grace. And anybody who knows me knows that I can be very angry and very over uh, overbearing. And um, I think in the 10 days that I was there in Detroit, I think there was one disagree a mild disagreement at the funeral home with my brother. It wasn't any big deal. It was just... You know, his, he's a scientist and he was tending to take over and I said something and, well, you know, the emotions were charged, but that was the only thing that happened. And we were on, you know, we were all on point. We were all in the same place. This idea of family, you know, family is instinctive, man. It's, it's like, I don't like a lot of the people in my, you know, things that have happened, but the idea that, well, the, the healthy thing to do is to never talk to my family again goes against the core of who I am. So what I have to do is to really learn how to deal with what I'm feeling, which I cannot do if I'm overeating. There's another point. Um, in the big book, or in the OA book, of the stories, that is, the interesting thing is that nobody in the book gets the gift or the revelation until they stop drinking. Nobody gets it. You don't, there's not one story in there where a guy says, well, I went back to drinking, but life was still 40% better than it was before. You know. See, that's a lie. It's a lie we tell ourselves because we believe we're not okay. See. And remember, the third tradition, and thank God for that one, I really hang, hung on to that like crazy because like, I was convinced that if I really was honest or really was Ira that I was going to get kicked out, cast out. And it says that the only requirement for OA membership is the de desire to stop eating compulsively, whatever that means. Okay. So, so yet, you know, there is this political correctness that I see sometimes, or this, and this, again, it's my opinion, this fear of just being yourself. If you can't be yourself here, where the hell are you going to be yourself? That's why, that's what the we means to me. Is, is that I don't care where you're at. I mean, I mean, I remember, like I told someone at lunch, I said, you know what, I would rather be pissed off and fighting and angry than eating. Because, like, at least if I'm, if I'm there and I'm absent, I got a shot to resolve the problem. If I'm back into the food, I'm dead. Now, like, I've been doing this a long time, and I, 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 it's, it's, I'm honored to be asked to share. And actually, my head says, how come the whole place isn't filled with throngs, you know, like, and I'm, I, and, and I'm, I'm doing the Lotus Sutra for you, you know. Um, but the point is, is that I'm willing because of what was given to me by people who took the time to listen to me, people who took the time to, to, to hear inventory from me, who took the time to, to you know, they took time out of their lives. I remember, what here's the we for you. I was, I was asked to lead an AA meeting, a noontime AA meeting at the Radford Clubhouse, which is on Ventura Boulevard in Sherman Oaks, right? So I get there early, and the, and the program person isn't there yet. So there's a guy there. His name was Bill. I didn't, never saw him before in my life. And he didn't know, he didn't know whether, who I was. And I said, hi, Bill. 
He says, are you new? I said, no, I'm here for a meeting. He said, let me get you a cup of coffee. You know, didn't it wasn't qualified on whether he knew me or not. He just, and it turned out the guy had 36 years of sobriety. See? And that's what this stuff is about. It's about, the we means, it's like, you know, um, love thy neighbor as thyself. You see, the disease is, I feel like hell, and I like it. And that way I don't have to do anything. And I can be a victim. And I can, and I can blame everything else. And I, can, and I was. I was very angry. You know, I'm still angry, but I'm less angry. You know? I see things that I... In fact, I had a discussion with uh, one of the people who are connected. And I have a very, very um, negative view of always attitude toward money. You know, based on my experience. If we want more money to come in, if more of us were abstaining in a good example and more enthusiastic, people would come. But we keep looking for, like, shortcuts. And I think it hurts us. But that's my opinion only. And I was able to share it with this person who has a different view without it being... without it... Uh, getting into a nasty argument where we have to now go make amends. In fact, I came up to her later and I said, you know, I said, you know, our hearts are both in the right place. We're in the same place. You know, and that's what the program gives you. That sense that, like, you, for instance, you can disagree with somebody, have a different opinion, but that doesn't mean you have to kill each other. You know. Because it's not going to do any good. I remember a guy, and I, again, I'm sharing... Great, thank you. I, I, I'm at my meeting and a guy that was a really sick fellow at my home meeting. This is a true story, too. I'm, really, I'm telling you, it's, it's like, you know, being a hundred pounder, man, I, I don't know hundred pounders who are not angry people or, you know, or easily like provoked, you know. And so this is this guy is, you know, I don't want to. You know, I do, but I'm not going to. Um, uh, uh, my wife employed him. She has a business and he didn't show up and he did some inappropriate behavior at her office. And she was really turned off. And this guy's a sick guy. You know, it's, it's all right. You know, he's a sick guy. And so I didn't want anything to do with him either because I had tried to sponsor him. And, you know, it's like they say that after 10 minutes you begin to repeat yourself. So if I'm having a, an hour conversation, chances are those are five repeats of, you know. Anyway, anyway, the point being that, so I'm at my home meeting and he's there. And he says, he comes up to me and says, why don't you want to talk to me? I said, I just don't want to talk to you. This is at the end of the meeting. And I walk away from him. And he follows me. Yeah, but I don't understand. What did I do? What, why did I do so wrong? How did I, you know, I, I just don't want to talk to you. You know, and I and he's following me around the room. And if you've been at the Derby office, you know it's, it's, you know, so he's following me around the room. So finally, like there's a the tr steps and traditions are on this wall, and I, I I get nose to nose with him, and I said, you say one more word, I'm going to see if I can put my fist through your head to see if I can hit the eighth tradition. <laughs> so he looks at me, and now people are seeing this, right? And they're, you know, and, oh, you know, and and. So he looks at me and he says, you don't want to talk to me, do you? So, so I go home and I'm, you know, look, I didn't want to act out. I'm not, you know, I was ashamed. I was ashamed that I lost. Okay. However, I called my sponsor. This is 11 o'clock at night now. Who I've known for years. This is the wee part. And I tell him what, I, what happened. So you know what his first question is? He said, did you hit him? I said, no. He says, at least you won't get arrested. And then I was okay. So in other words, I'm laughing. See, that's what the we does. It's, it's, uh, let me tell you. See, linear thinking is, if I do this, I'm going to get this. And spirituality is everything here, see. So part of, like, I want something, you know. So I'm focused on, you know, Creation started with a point, it became two points or a line and that, but there's a whole dimension of things that are going on here. That you guys, that for instance, your, your lives, 
And when I'm not so focused on me and the result of me, and there's this other dimension of you, what happens is, like, like, yes, we can. You know, we can do together what we could never do alone. You know, that kind of thing comes into it. I don't know what God is. I was agnostic when I came in here. You know, but I um, something happened because I called a guy the first night. You know, I said, could I call you the next day? And um, he said, sure, but I leave for work uh, at 6.30, so it's going to have to be before that. And I'm an artiste, as my AA sponsor said, with an accent grab on E, which means I can't handle a day job. So, so um, but I was up without an alarm to call him. That's a, that's a change. Then I later understood that that was a spiritual experience. Okay. But the point is he was willing. As a guy I didn't even know. You know, you talk about we. Uh, I'll, I'll finish with this idea, like that. That I have heard it said that, for instance, this is a perfect example of step two. You know why? Because if you think of who we are personally, each of us individually, how nuts we are, right? And and what we do, and how intolerant, and how nervous and anxious, sitting collectively together, politely, listening to somebody for an hour. If that isn't sanity being restored, I don't know what is. You see? And so the deal is, is that if, if you can, thank you, if you can apply it here, you can get the inspiration to apply it wherever you have uh, issues. You know, whether it be work, relationships. Like I say, I've been through, well, I'll share this. It's, an, it's a kind of a negative thing. The, the opposite of the we, which is that there was a 19-year-old girl um, who was coming to meetings in the Valley who uh, did not connect with anybody, really. She was from Washington, D.C. And we were having a meeting. There used to be a Sunday 1 o'clock meeting at the OA office in the Valley. And um, uh, the door was open. It was like a May, you know, it was late May. It was nice weather. And we heard what we thought was a fire, uh, 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 truck backfire. And about 10 minutes later, a woman who was sitting, you know, right next to the door looks outside, screams. She shot herself in the head. And I got to find out that 409 cleans up blood and stuff because that's what I had to do. Okay. But there were a couple of newcomers there and they stayed. Because the way we carry a message is the example we set. So what we also means to me is that I cannot, that the self-obsession is not attractive. Thanks for letting me share. Um, glad we're here. Well, the next thing we'll do, we're supposed to spend the next 20 minutes or so uh, with the Ask It Basket. Um, I'll uh, uh, take those questions. And then uh, after that, we'll have some time for some open sharing. So let me grab that basket and we'll get, get to going. Nobody, it looks like, has any questions at all, which is just perfectly fine. You know what? Why don't we ask from the floor? Yeah. Do you have any questions for us? Or comments? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's do that. Uh, you know, they've asked us to confine it to three minutes apiece. I don't think we'll do that. We've got plenty of time before we need to be done. Uh, we need to close in about 20 minutes, but... Uh, 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 one thing that you need to do is uh, uh, stay on the topic, and uh, there's a release form to sign here after you share because this is being taped. So if you'd like to uh, come up and share, we'd really appreciate that. That's always for you. Hi, I'm Meg. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Meg. Hi. Uh, thank you, Chris, and thank you, Ira. Um, 
it, uh, I came to this workshop because I tend to try to do it alone. I tend to um, take on whatever projects I take um, and try to do them all alone. And then when I get overwhelmed, then I think, oh, oh, program says I haven't, I don't have to do this alone. And then I reach out, and I wish I would reach out right from the beginning. Um, and uh, I appreciated the way uh, you talked about sponsors, sponsees being really essential. Um, I really love it when my sponsees call me because um, no matter when it is, it's usually a time when I need to think program and I'm not. <laughs> and they make me think in program terms. So I really appreciate that. Um, I have a hard time calling other people. I mean, that's part of the we problem, uh, part of the program and it's part of my problem of asking for help. And um, I just, if only I could remember from the other side how much a call from sponsees to me helped me, that maybe a call from me would help someone else. So um, I'm really grateful that I learned in this program that I don't do, have to do it all myself. Um, I grew up with one of the sayings being, if you want it done right, you have to do it yourself. Um, it doesn't count unless you do it all yourself, those kind of things. And um, I'm just really grateful to find this way of living and doing life not all on my own. Thanks. Janet, I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi. Hi. Thank you all both for sharing. And um, I'm here at this convention because somebody I know in program e emailed me and told me that this region needed support and I had something to celebrate this week of being in a relationship for 22 years, which um, is really a, something to clap about since I didn't... I didn't uh, think I'd ever have any kind of relationship, and um, this uh, topic is very appropriate for me, uh, like everything in OA is, because um, I came from a family where it was the highest good to be self-reliant and not need anybody. And at the same time, you're supposed to help you know, your family undyingly, but uh, you're supposed to do everything yourself. That's how you uh, belong. And I'm really good at that, but, you know, I'm not good at doing this program by myself because, as you can see, it doesn't work. And I came to my first meeting in uh, May. What was May? The May my uh, nephew Michael was born, and he was born in 1971. So I've come to a lot of meetings, but I came to a lot of meetings and sat in the back and talked to the people who were atheists and said that this God wasn't doing it. And, <laughs> and that's the first meeting I went to. Crescent Heights, this guy told me, they say God's doing it, but they're doing it themselves. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> I have to share something about Ira because I, when I came here today, I was hoping I'd hear Ira. And God works in my life like that because it gives me a lot of hope to see the people I saw years ago still here, especially if they're still here and they're uh, not wearing the, the disease. It gives me a lot of hope. And I had uh, gone to a fourth-step workshop a long time ago where Ira gave me an answer that was a real answer for me and helped a lot um, because I come from a family where I was victimized and the other um, children were victimized. And so I had refined victimhood to a fine science and was excellent at it. <laughs> And the whole idea of, the, of um, taking an inventory of my wrongs seems completely ludicrous 
totally and unequivocally ludicrous because their wrongs were so much worse. And, you know, they did it to me. They got away with it. And I was not going to talk about my petty little wrongs when <laughs> their wrongs were so glaring. And, and, um, and not only that, but, you know, what is my part in it? I was just born there. You know, I didn't do anything wrong. I just got, had the bad luck to be born to a monster and a saint. I found out the saint's not a saint and a monster. It's probably not a monster, but that's how I thought of it at the time. The saint and a monster. But anyway, so I couldn't see what my part in it could be. And Ira, kinda, Ira and I kind of got into a dialogue, me from the floor, him from the podium. And he said, your part in it was you were there. And that was so freeing, you know. Sometimes your part in it is not that you're wrong or right. It's just you're there, you know, and maybe you should get out of there as quick as possible, you know, which which is God took me out of that relationship with the monster. And, uh, and then he's revealed to me over the years that uh, this person was a very harmed person and probably did a lot better than I could if, they had, if I had to deal with what they had to deal with. And um, anyway, but I still have a lot the... I still have the problem of independence and self-reliance. They're curses from somewhere. And they do me no good whatsoever. You know, I mean, they're great for packing up. I, you should see me. I can pack the whole, I can pack to come here. I can pack to leave here. I can organize everything. I'm really good. I can run General Motors, you know. But it doesn't work. Yeah, I mean, better than they did. And probably all the banks, too. But, you know, I can't lose the weight and keep it off. And the speaker last night spoke to me the way Ira did that day when he, when the speaker last night said, you know, uh, because powerless is my problem. Because, you know, being powerless in the home I was in was to die. And I was powerless. And it's a miracle I didn't die. You know, I got attacked by the monster a couple times and I well could have died. So I didn't want to hear nothing about your powerless bullshit, you know. I mean, as far as I was concerned, I didn't want to hear about being any powerless. I've been taking martial arts. You know, I'm not going to be powerless. You're going to tell me I'm powerless, you know. But he defined powerless for me in a way that really got to me last night. Being powerless is like putting a gun to your head and pulling the trigger. You're not going to do it over on Monday. And that's what I've been doing all these years. I'm doing it over on Monday. Only it's usually I have a little astrological birthday book. And it has a little line in there what each day means. So I keep picking out the best day. Now, this is the best day to start. My last best day was the 26th because that was the day of stamina. I thought, that would be a good day. Stamina. <laughs> well, I'll tell you something. It takes a lot of stamina to keep coming back here fast. You talk about guts. It takes guts to show up. At, well, not really because they're all fat now, but I mean, when I showed up, I thought, I'm going to be the only one fat, and they're all fat. I mean, except for Ira. But anyway, um, it's true. I'm sorry, but it's true. But anyway, keep coming back because I have and I will, and uh, I think I'll just take whatever day it happens when it starts. Thanks for letting me say. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is John. I'm a compulsive overeater. And I qualify. I, I started coming here in August uh, 1980. My, I'm a real 100-pounder. My top weight exceeded 500 pounds. And uh, well, it's a good topic, you know, because um, <clears throat> when, when, I, when, I got my <clears throat> when I got a really good sponsor, the sponsor told me that my pro problem like it says in the big book, is the bondage itself, you know, because I'm, uh, <clears throat> there seems to be two types of, I call them alcoholic personalities in here, I call them the animal and the vegetable alcoholic personalities, and the animals are ambitious, aggressive, you know, they just, 
And, well, you know, they might be abusive and so on. And then there's the vegetables. And they're the ones that retreat. And they don't want anybody to... I think that has to do, because the fatter I got, the more invisible I got. Can anybody, you know? And uh, But anyway, this program is, is the best thing that ever helped me to start getting out of my isolation, you know? Um, I tried lots of things to... To, to try to lose weight, <clears throat> you know, like going to psychiatrists and uh, and doctors, and 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 they give me amphetamines, and they said this will, you know, this will suppress your appetite. Well, guess what? Appetite has nothing to do with my disease, you know. And what speed does is make me eat faster, you know. That's exactly the truth. Drink more, eat faster, you know. And uh, anyway, how I got here, I hit my bottom. I had a job delivering luxury yachts, and I had to take them from North Carolina all the way around uh, through the Panama Canal all the way up to Seattle. And the owners pay, you know, for eating the best. So I just binged myself up to over 500 pounds. And then right after the last delivery, I'm from Pasadena. I wound up in St. Luke's Hospital, and I had record high blood pressure. I had all these things going on, and they, they would tell me, but you, you know how we are. It just scares us, so we want to eat more, you know, and uh, I had that moment of clarity, and I think I did my first step before I came to the program, and I just said, God... I can't lose weight. I don't know what to do. I can't stop drinking. I can't stop even smoking cigarettes. I can't stop any of this. See, I'm an all-around consumer. Uh, anyway, anyway, as soon as I did that, I felt kind of relieved. And my doctor came in. And he said, you want to try a restricted diet? And I said, okay. And so I did that. I came, and, and, and it was hard for me to do that, just get a, a hospital tray. And anyway, I lost 100 pounds in six months. And everybody is telling me I look better. Don't you feel so much better? Of course, the answer is no. No, I felt horrible because I was getting feelings. I was getting into reality. I realized that my life was even more unmanageable than I thought when I was numbed out with food and booze. And uh, so anyway, this program, it... it, it it, it, it really helps, and, and, and you got to get a sponsor. You know, you just got to, you, you can't use your own thinking, and, and, and you just can't try to, you just can't try to figure this thing out. You can't try to evaluate it. You can't try to analyze it. Because you never will. I don't think anybody really does. You just do it. And so that's what I did. And I continued to lose weight. And, uh, and I got involved in the program, and I think that helped me more than anything, because I didn't really enjoy coming to these meetings, to tell you the truth. And I took everybody's inventory that was in the room, everybody, you know. And unfortunately, I have a lot of synapses in my brain. That's not good, but I think most of us do. And uh, I don't know. But um, anyway, I, since things started getting better in my life, and I managed to lose 300 pounds, and I was keeping that off, you know. And I couldn't have done it without this program. I was, I was, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an alcoholic. I'm a, if you put it in your mouth, I did it. Right? And I don't do any of that now, except I made a big mistake. I got mad at OA because things were changing, and I left. I thought I could do it in AA, you know. And what does it say in the big book? You know, in the beginning, it says, uh, it, 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 it tells you, uh, don't drink, eat sugar. It tells you to eat sugar. It says it. And in every AA meeting, they have lots of sugar. So I started to get back into the sugar. And I, went, I even had meetings figured out like, well, let's see, Thursday, there's the chocolate meeting at such and such a place. <laughs> and... and you know, and guess what? I put 110 pounds back on. And so, um, <clears throat> I don't want to tell you this. That's why I'm up here, see? 
That's, that's really it. Because I've got to be able to become honest with myself, you know. And uh, I have to be able to, well, the way I, I, I really do my program is every day, every day, I say the third step prayer to myself. Uh, I ask, I tell myself just for today, I won't drink. I'll try to eat to the best that I can, which is not really great, because I, 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 I won't make any excuses. I, I need to, it needs to be better. Let's put it that way. Uh, and I, and the main thing is, I try to stay out of the wreckage of the future, because that's what gets me thinking. Well, what am I going to do when all these things come up? What am I going to do? That's what gets me. Well, I'll have a little, I don't know, that type of thing. So anyway. I, I'm really glad I came to I came to the R2 convention again. I used to go to all, all of everything and be highly involved in the program, and uh, I need to start doing that again. So anyway, I want to thank you all for being here, and don't try to analyze this program. Just keep coming back and just do it, you know, and it will help. It'll help because I well, my fear factor is dissolved a lot since since I first came in here. I think that's mainly, you know, it's fear. But anyway, thanks for being here. And see, my sponsor now tells me to be brief. And, uh, and if, when I came in here, I couldn't hardly read one of these things in front of the group. So anyway, I guess that's recovery. So thanks for being here again. And compulsive eater and bulimic. And, uh, when I first came to the program, the very first time I came, um, I looked around the room and I saw a bunch of people that were overweight or had lost weight and um, and I was thin and I said, okay, everybody's staring at me and this is not the place for me and I left. Um, although I did hear a man stand up and talk about binging on apples and, and I don't like fruit, and so that even made it worse for me because I said, how could anybody binge on an apple, you know? So anyway, I didn't go back for years. And um, when I finally went back, I had reached the, the point where I was binging and purging continuously. Um, so when I went into the meetings, I just spent my time crying and... Um, listening and um, especially listening to the people that had been around for a long, long time. And um, all of a sudden they all sounded like me, except that um, they didn't do the same behavior I did. But all the feelings were exactly the same. You know, it was like they were talking about what my thoughts were and my feelings were and, and like they've been Bill Cosby like you were hiding in my closet you know and you and you heard me but you just didn't do it the same way and I go to meetings now and I'll have people come in and they'll say well you know you can't relate to me because you didn't do what I did you know you're not like me and then I'll tell my story and they'll say, oh, I guess it is the same. You know, it's really, really strange. So I lost 30 pounds, kept it off. My voice is shaking already because I'm on this stage. If I were down there, it wouldn't be. But um, anyway, I found that the one thing I didn't do was quit. I kept coming back and back and back. And one day I heard somebody say, that their father was like in his 80s he was senile 
couldn't remember if he'd eaten his breakfast or his lunch, but he remembered to go upstairs and throw up every day. And that did it. That's it. That was the end for me because um, I could just as easily picture myself in that same position because even though I, I could get over it for a period of time, you know, it's like, you know, I'd go up at Christmas to my, my daughter-in-law's parents' house because we celebrate Christmas together every year. I'd go up there and she's a baker and she'd have all this stuff sitting around and I'd, I'd hold off until the day before we'd go home. And then I just, whatever was left, I'd just gobble down because it's sugar for me. Um, that did it. That that vision of seeing myself at that age still going in because I'd never given it up totally. You know, I'd never totally surrendered that. That did it. And um, and then I I heard people talking about going through the death of a spouse or terrible things and coming out of it still being abstinent. And, and you know, um, I'm here to tell you that for me, um, the last couple of years have been just the most fantastic thing in the world because I am abstinent and I don't purge anymore and I don't binge anymore. And I just found out that... Um, I've had to give up some foods because I'm having stomach problems. And that would have just thrown me over the edge because if somebody tells me what I can't eat, boy, screw you. Um, I mean, I went to house for a little while. I know what that's like, you know. But um, that surrender and, and hearing people that I could relate to and, and having friends that have been through all these things in, in program and I couldn't do it without, without, without the people in this program. So I am really grateful, and it's the first first convention I've ever been to, and it's phenomenal. I love it. Thank you very much. Alrighty, uh, we'll go ahead and close the workshop. Uh, we'll have a little moment of silence, at which time Ira and I will come down, and uh, um, we'll close with, uh, I love I put my hand in yours, so if you don't mind, we'll do that. Come on down, Ira.